Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Again, a little bit, but I want to read our scripture passage for today. Um, and it's, uh, And this is... One of those ones that can be a little challenging, but it ends with good news. And so this is um, from that Jeremiah 29 passage. For those of you who are waiting for verse 11 and the plans that God has for us, you got to wait one more week. We're still not going to get there today. Um, But Jeremiah 29, 8 to 10. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now this is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So the letter that comes from Jeremiah to Babylon or Babylon back to Jeremiah is about um, not listening to these prophets we're going to hear about who are Um, maybe reducing the exile time a little bit and for what reason when 70 years sounds a little bit too much, I guess, to handle. Most of the time when I'm in studies and we're looking at times in which God has made the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years or sent them to Babylon for 70 years, there's this kind of sense of injustice that rises up about why would God do that to certain people when God is supposed to just continuously bless us and continuously do things for us and kind of be our Santa Claus and to give us whatever we want whenever we want to. And so we're going to play a little bit of a game called Now or Later. Not now and later like the candy, but now or later. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite to you a few different experiments that were done in different universities over the last probably 30 or 40 years. And so um, let's say that I come to you today and I say, I'm going to give everybody, it's kind of a reverse offering, I'm going to give everybody $100 today. Not for real. You can give $100 in a little bit. I'm going to give everybody $100 and I can give it to you right now uh, with about seven other pieces of paper and you're, it's on you to get it home. Or if you want to, we'll set up a direct deposit where that $100 will go into your bank account and it'll be secure and you'll know that you'll make it home with it. Now or later? Some people said later. 84% of the people who went through this said, give it to me now. I'll take it. And we all know how well we do with the whole stacks of papers. But it was, they took the stack of paper, they had $100 bills. And the follow-up was that at least 30% of those people lost $100 on their way home. All right, next question. Um, you have a gala to go to, a wedding to go to, a big business event to go to, and you have the perfect suit, the dress, and there is no compromising on this. This is the dress, the suit. It is what you are going to wear. Only problem is you don't fit in it. So you have the opportunity to forsake the dress and go into a a pattern of living with healthy diet, exercise, and it's going to take you about nine to 10 months in order to fit in this suit or dress, and you'll have to wear it for a different thing. Or, or I can give you a crash diet, whatever the latest fat is, and it's probably going to hurt your kidneys in the long run, but you will fit in that suit. 
Now or later? Now. That's what 78% of Americans said, is that they would take whatever the consequences were later in order to look good and feel good now. If I could, okay, so the preacher's up here and he's going to end the sermon now or I'm not going to go there because I don't want to hear the answer to that. Now, it's flu season. You can have the flu pretty bad for two days if you choose to have it now or in some indeterminate time in the future, you can have it for an undetermined length of time, now or later. I'm surprised because 90-something percent said, give it to me later, right? Give me the delayed consequences. We are people of instant gratification, delayed consequences. We want to feel good now. We want to be rewarded now. We don't want to wait for something better if there is something tangible now. If I came to you and said, look, I have a message today. I'm going to tell stories of miracles and healings and blessings and prosperity gospel and everything that God will do for you in the next five minutes when you leave from worship today, now or later. Now. Give it to me now. If I came to you and said, you know, I've been studying the gospels. I've been studying the words of Paul to his letters and the churches that he sends. I've been studying the Old Testament. And y'all, we're not doing half of these things. And we're actually celebrating that we're not doing half of these things. You want to hear that message now or later? Later. No one wants to feel bad when they come to church. No one wants to be corrected. No one wants to be condemned in that. We are people of instant gratification and delayed response. There was an actual study called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, which is the best name for a study that I've ever seen. In the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, they brought in 100 little kids aged 4 to 7 years old into Stanford University, and they sat them in a room. When they sat up in the room, there was not the little hot cocoa marshmallows, but it was the big puffy marshmallows on a desk, and said to the child, you can eat this marshmallow whenever you want during the next 15 minutes, or if you make it all 15 minutes and the marshmallow is still there, I'll give you two marshmallows. And you know, I don't remember being a four to seven year old kid, but I do remember that if someone gave me more candy than less candy, that was a better deal. Well, I haven't found, like, I couldn't find the exact study, but all the abstracts I read about this, the observers of the children who were in this, there were at least 25 kids that didn't wait for the instructions to be done, given, before they ate the marshmallow. And then a majority of other kids, as soon as the instructor left, popped the marshmallow in their hands, and then they had to sit there for another, like, 14 and a half minutes afterward. There were kids who tried to distract themselves, and what they actually learned from the study is that if you take the temptation away from your sensory, then you can withstand it. If it's just in theory, you can withstand it more than it being in front of you. But these kids who resisted for a little bit were, like, jumping around the room like this, just trying anything they could do. They were putting their heads on the desk. There was one little girl, and they have, like, videos they were talking about this, and this little girl's dancing, and she was, like, like making up songs and singing and dancing around the room, but her eyes apparently were like always doing this back to the marshmallow, and she made it the longest. She made it 10 minutes before she finally ate the marshmallow. And apparently there was only like 4 to 5% of the kids or 3 to 4% of the kids that made it all 15 minutes and were rewarded with two marshmallows. Why? Because why would I wait for better later when I can have okay right now? And so it's no, you know, it's no coincidence that when Jeremiah tells the people who have been exiled to Israel, look, you got 70 years, and last week you had the instructions. Go ahead, build houses, have families, plant trees, make a settlement there. The thriving of this community is going to be your thriving, because you're going to be here a while. And, and that's just what you know, God needs from you right now. And, and he goes on to tell them the why that they have been um, sent there to exile. The why we can find back in Jeremiah chapter 7. And 
in Jeremiah chapter 7, he talks, Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord of what the things they would need to change are. So what the things they were doing wrong. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own heart, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're safe here. Only go on doing all these abominations. Essentially, are we going to come to church and say, you know what, we're blessed when we're not even, uh, when we tend to forget the word of the Lord? Are we making this a den of robbers or a place where we are forsaking what God has asked us to do? And, and Jeremiah even says in chapter 3 that um, the Israel was described as um, the first fruits of God. The nation that was supposed to be something a little bit different. The people that was supposed to be something a little different. That God had specifically invested in the nation of Israel so they would be a city on a hill and a light to all nations. So that they would be a people that didn't just eat the marshmallow when it was handed to them. But they would wait for everybody to have a marshmallow so that everybody could have a marshmallow. And not even that, but they would give God a piece of that marshmallow out of humility and thanksgiving to make sure that they didn't build they didn't build big tall towers of Babel to their own glory, but they gave glory to God so that everybody was humble in the way that they acted and served and loved everybody. And what's happening is that the Israelite people, as we see through Micah, as we through Amos, we see in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all the Samuel stories, all of these narrative parts of the Old Testament, we see where Israel is, has this prescription for wellness and this prescription for wholeness that is a long game handed to them and at every turn, they just turn to Baal, or they turn to another god, or they turn to another political power, or they turn to their own self-indulgence. At every turn, they continue to uh, take. And there are good kings that come, and there are good kings that try and restore them to this righteousness and this holiness. But at most turns, they are choosing now over later. They are choosing easy over long term. And this is why they end up in exile, and, and why they need to be in exile. Because, as Carrie Lynn mentioned last week, exile is this place between two good points. The resurrection of Jesus, for us here in exile, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that, that brings, brings the dead to life, it brings us this hope of eternal life, it allows us to know that no matter what mistakes we've made, we still have second chances and we can still go forward in this life. And then the other polarity being the second coming of Christ and, and the time in which there is no more pain and no more tears and there is no gates that keep anybody out or gates that keep anybody in, but we are free to walk amongst God's presence, that we as a church live in this time of exile where we kind of belong and we kind of don't because we're waiting for something better but living in the now. And Israel was supposed to exemplify this. But in their corruption— they have to be sent away so that they can unlearn some of these habits. So that they can raise a generation that returns to righteousness. So that when they do return to Israel, that they will only know righteousness. And they'll only know the goodness of the Lord versus other gods. And they'll only know the discipline of what produces love and mercy and justice versus the habits of oppression that they had been towards widows and orphans and aliens and all the ones that Jeremiah mentioned. And so they have to have this time of refinement. And that's really what exile is when they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years or when they're in Babylon for 70 years. Or we could even talk about our time now 
now is that it is a time of refinement. So when Jesus comes and there is a world with no more tears and no more pain and no more sadness and there are gates that are open wide for everybody to be a part of it, that if we practice now and we refine ourselves now, that doesn't look so unfamiliar. And then maybe we're a little bit more ready for it. And scripture after scripture talks about, right, don't grow weary in doing good, for in your time you will be rewarded. Don't neglect to meet together like some people do. Jesus is constantly saying, no one knows the hour and the day of the master's coming, but stay at work, stay busy, right? There is a, uh, a longevity to the mission of God, a longevity to the pattern of life that brings about the good fruits that God desires and the prescription of life that God puts out there. But who wants to spend 70 years trying hard? or suffering. Who wants to spend 70 years when? Option number two, right? 70 years is later. Option number two is now. This is a guy named Hananiah. You can go back to chapter 28, and you can read about Hananiah as this other prophet. And Hananiah comes into Jeremiah's sight, and he says, no, 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 no. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. You should know that somebody is not probably the person of the Lord when they start with property over the people. So if they're bringing the vessels back before the people. And then he also says, I will also bring back to this place King Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now what you should know is there's another portion of Jeremiah in uh, chapter 27 before chapter 28 that Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, but if any nation or kingdom will not serve this king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, then I will punish that nation with a sword, with famine and with pestilence, says the Lord, until I have completed its destruction by his hand. Essentially, if you don't wait your 70 years, then bad things are going to happen. But Hananiah comes in and says, no, 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 I'll make you a better deal. Two years. You only have to be in an uncomfortable exile place for two years. And here's the sweet deal. When you come back from an uncomfortable place, you'll come back to your comfort zone. The kings will be the same. The way of life will be the same. Essentially, all the things that got you into exile in the first place, you get to go back to those. Doesn't that sound like a fantastic arrangement? And you know what most of them probably chose? Yeah, give me now. Doesn't matter if it's destructive. It makes me feel good. Doesn't matter if it tears people down in the long run. It's what I'm comfortable with. And the prohibition about being there 70 years is so they can get those habits out of their system. So they can recognize they need to know there's a disruption in the matrix. They need to know something is wrong back in Israel. They need to know that what was going on is not the prescription that God gave them for the way, the truth, and the life. And so they need to be there for 70 years and God makes sure that they are there for 70 years so that when they do return, when the exile is over, that is truly the righteousness that God is looking for, truly the mercy that we are to show to one another, truly the love that we are to exude between another so that we do it right for the long term instead of the short term now. I got some people's permission to share their story because um, it's a very personal one, and they just asked me that I leave the names out of it, and so I'm going to leave the names out of it. And it took place a while ago. Um, but there, is, there, was a, there was a gentleman who called me around 7.30 at night one night. And these calls happen every now and then. Called me at 7.30 and says, I absolutely need to meet with you right now. And I said, oh, okay, what's going on? Said, I need you to meet my, my wife and I have a church. And 
I said, okay, and, and they had three kids, so I assumed that maybe one of their kids, something was happening with their kids, and that there was a, a, a crisis or an emergency or something like that. They just needed somebody kind of calming to be with, and I said, okay, sure, let's, let's meet up at church, and so we came up here, and um, we're sitting in the room, and that's when the husband informed me that his wife had just told him that day that he was filing for divorce, uh, or that she was filing for divorce, and, and he, of course, why? I have no idea. I can understand. And, and he's in a rage, and, and she's quiet because she's already at peace with this, and she is um, just very, very protective of her feelings in this moment. And so in this um, two and a half hours that we spent, I think I left sometime around, I don't know, 10, 30, 11, whatever the math is, you know, late at night, in this two and a half hours that we sat together, um, there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of silence. There was a lot of awkward silence. We were in this great period of exile that was very, very, very uncomfortable, uh, trying to uh, find the deeper reasons and find the deeper meaning and get people to tell truth to each other and get people to commit to truth with each other. And eventually, after two and a half hours, we had found the name of a good counselor recommendation that, that they thought they agreed on and I thought would be a helpful person for this to do some of that deep work that I just am not skilled at or trained at. And so we kind of said, okay, we're going to set a counseling appointment around this time. And, and I went to my office and I had some books. I mean, some of y'all like the five love languages and other ones. And I kind of highlighted some chapters that I felt like would be helpful for them, gave them and said, if y'all can read these. And then we even like made a covenant on paper and said, we will pray in these ways for each other and for ourselves during this kind of daily, weekly routine to kind of retrain our hearts and minds toward forgiveness and grace and, and try and see the best in each other um, that we possibly can. And so we, we signed that together, and so we walked away, and, and I will tell you, I felt the movement of the Spirit that night. Like, it was a really great night, even though it was a tough night, because most of the time, challenging things end up being rewarding. And so I, and even the wife, who had been just, you know, she had already made her choice, and all of the emotional neglect that she had felt, the infidelity, all the things that had gone on, she, you know, walked away that night thinking, okay, there's a chance, right? Like, she even admitted, there's a chance that this, this is going to happen, and I told them, like, you know, hey, I, I know we're used to kind of cure-alls, right? We're used to quick, easy fixes, and this is going to take a while. So even if you finish the books and, and finish our prescription here, like, it might be two years before you look at each other the same way you did on your wedding day and, and try to prepare them for that. And they said, yeah, thanks a lot. And um, So we left and went about our daily lives. And um, the next week, I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I see they're in Costa Rica, think, well, that's an interesting choice. Um, but maybe they just needed some time away, right? They just needed some, you know, great time. Maybe they already had it scheduled and they decided to go for it anyway. And, and, and it's not just one picture from Costa Rica, but it is just effusive, lovey-dovey statements about each other and, and all of this kind of wild time and like pictures of PDA and public displays of affection that, that they're posting for everyone to see. And, it, and I'm thinking, I want, did God perform a miracle in this case? Like, is there a miracle that just softened hearts and brought these people back together? And and so they got home, and I saw them at church and said, like, hey, Costa Rica looked really fun. And they said, oh, my gosh, it was just what we needed to do. It was so perfect. And I said, great. Like, did y'all take, like, the five love languages with you to talk about while you, did you get it? Have, like, a marriage retreat? Like, no, 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 we didn't, we didn't get to that. And it doesn't, it's not a really easy book to read. And I was like, that is the easiest book to read. It's written for kindergartners. Like, um, and so they didn't read that. And I said, okay, well, um, so what else do you guys have coming up on the horizon? So we're going to Cancun next week. I was like, don't y'all have three children? Like, where are they staying? Um, but they end up going to Cancun. And, and, you know, again, same pictures of just everything's lovey-dovey and everything's amazing and, and, and it's just perfect idyllic environments. And they get home and 
I said, like, so Cancun looked pretty good, and did you guys schedule your marriage counseling yet? And they said, no, we're not, I don't think we need to do that. We've just been having fun together, and it's been really great to have fun with each other and just kind of have these really great experiences with each other. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and I, one of the things I don't do well as a pastor is I don't really enjoy challenging people and meddling in their business. And, and most of y'all would like me not to, but one of the job descriptions I have is to tend to the spiritual life of our community. And, and sometimes that means difficult phone calls when I feel like people are harming themselves. And so um, I called up the husband after a couple of weeks and I just said, so I'm just going to tell you my concern. My concern is that y'all are papering over the problems with big endorphin-inducing experiences. I have a, a fear that you're probably not growing together as much as you are just having fun with, you know, with your spouse. And, um, and marriages are not just built on fun and exciting. Those of you who are married can attest to this. Right? Day in and day out, it is not an endorphin rush all the time. And so, like, I really think y'all need to go to counseling and do the hard work and you know, without a beat. No, no, we're doing great. And eight months later, they were divorced because they weren't willing to look at the long game. They weren't willing to do the hard game. And I'm not saying that divorce isn't necessary in all situations. I'm just saying that in this situation, they had the prescription that would lead to hope. Or at least they had a prescription to try that would lead to hope. They had a prescription to try that would lead to love. They had a prescription to try that would lead toward a more cohesive union that was built on solid ground. But in this situation, they didn't even try. They took the now that seemed fun and exciting versus the long term that wasn't as exciting but would lead to longer results. In this situation and in a lot of situations, we're so now focused and so instant gratification focused that if someone comes and says, you know what? I'll only give you two years of exile, and you get to return to the entire situation that caused exile to begin with, most of us would say, yeah, give me that. Because who cares if we're oppressing our neighbors, or who cares if we're honoring other gods? Who cares if our priorities are out of whack, as long as it feels good in the moment right now? And most of us wouldn't be willing. If I came to you and I said, you know what, I need you to give a generic $1,000 to the church. Just $1,000. Well, why would you like me to give you that? Most of the time, I'll have a great explanation. In fact, I have about 65 pet projects I'd like to start. If anybody has an extra $6 million laying around, I can totally help you out with that. But if I said, you know what? I think if you give this $1,000 now, in about five years, we're going to be able to start something really cool. Very few people buy into that kind of investment. But this is what God has for the Israelites, what God has for us. God has this long-term project that says, if you will Humble yourself with the mind of Christ to sacrifice some of your enjoyment, some of your, your resources, some of your time, some of what you have to give, maybe 10% perhaps, if you are willing to sacrifice your enjoyment, your life in the now in favor for the later, it will be better for everyone. And this is a church's role in the community is to guide that process. We often end up reacting because there are other things that take time over our Christianity. There are other things that take our resources over our Christianity. There are other movements that are speaking out in fear over our Christianity that speaks of faith. But what we are called to be in the community is a, a gap stop between the, the good news of Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ to continue the good news of Jesus Christ when it's not as exciting and when we don't always feel good. And especially for those who have ever been in one of those times in which you just don't feel God's presence. This is the same message of faith. When I was a student leader in college ministry, we had kids who would enter in and they said, I want to grow deeper in my faith. And what they really meant was, I want to read more books and go to church more. And we would say, great, there's the library. Don't drink until five on Saturday night. 
But what faith is, is faith is a belief. And it's not just one belief. It is a belief that shapes the rest of you and shapes the core of who you are. It's a long game of if I subscribe to God's way of life and I continue doing it day in and day out, then the long-term results will be more blessing and beneficial on the whole level than just simply my one shot of adrenaline. And the church's job is to lead in persistent patience. The church's job is to call people to a repentant nature of a longevity, a long-term faith in God to pattern our lives so that other people in our community look and say, you know what, something's different about them. Carrie Lynn spoke about Daniel last week. And the Babylonians who met Daniel saw that there was something different about him. Because Daniel was playing the long game associated with God's way of life. And it turns out it added benefits to the Babylonians as well. And so that's our role. Our role is to not take the five-hour energy drink so that we can, you know, just be better now. Our role is to engage in what God has for us and the faithful living that God prescribes for us well, so everybody can have a marshmallow and everybody gets the taste of sweetness. Let's pray. Gracious God, we know there is good around us, but there is also better. And so God, frame our hearts and minds Turn us back to the ways of, uh, of when you created us so we might see the cooperative good that comes when we are able to lay down our lives as your son did for us. And so thank you, God, for the good news of Jesus Christ who bears with us in all things and bears our sins upon his shoulders so that we might be forgiven and redeemed to uh, experience not only the long game but eternity and bring that way of joy into our existence here today so that we're not making our choices based on fear or pleasure but about what you would desire so that the whole world may experience wholeness instead of just our momentary enjoyment. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.